praise God, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us here today. What a great worship set we just came out of. Listen, you have caught us right in the middle of our series on values. We've had some great sermons on values over the last couple weeks, and wow, I am excited to come to you with the power of God, something that we value very highly here at Connect Church. But before I get into that, I just want to honor those who have gone here before me, not only just in this sermon series, but those who have laid the foundation of this house Back to Pastor Ernie Fry, who founded this church, and Pastor Derek, who is ongoingly maintaining and sustaining us through the, the anointing and the power of God. I am just so blessed to have been here in this place for such a season as this to see the table that's been prepared for us because of the men of God that's gone before us. From Pastor Ernie to Pastor Derek, this place is set up for us to receive from the Lord because of their labors and their efforts and their willingness to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, we are in a place where we can receive the blessings of heaven. And I just want to honor them for all that they do and all of their hard work. They've meant so much to me, and I know they mean so much to you. And I pray that today you would receive from this message, not only because of the words that I speak, but because of those who have gone before me and have made it possible for us to share with you today. So praise God and thank you, Lord, for those men of faith that have gone before us in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So I'm going to talk to you about the power of God today. Over the last couple of weeks, we've heard Pete, uh, Pastor Derek and Pastor Devin preach some great sermons on values. We heard about the value of church, the value of growth, the value of generosity. And what we've learned about values is values become our beliefs. And that's a thing of knowledge. And then our our beliefs become our behaviors, and that's a step of faith. And then our behaviors become our legacy because of our obedience to our consistency in those behaviors. And I want to tell you that this is a series for you. Today we are talking about the power of God, and I want to see that value become a belief, and it become a behavior, and become your legacy, that you would be known as a people of the power of God. I love what Paul said. He said, I didn't come to preach to you with eloquent words, but I came to preach to you with a demonstration of power. He later said that the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Today, we are going to talk about the power of God. If you're excited about talking about the power of God, go ahead and put it in the chat right now. Just write power of God. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 19. It says, with God, all things are possible. Later in Philippians, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, the power of God was made possible and available to us so that he could work through us because he wants to invite us in to his mission in seeking and saving the lost about sharing his love with the whole world so the power of God is available to us and it flows through us it's never about us it's always about him and we want to give him glory and honor for the power that he has given to us Amen. See, I want to just start off by thinking of this thought. This is kind of my big idea. I know a number of years ago, I was struggling with my faith. I felt like I was 
just absent of, of power. I felt like my Christianity had moved into mediocrity. I felt a little disconnected. I remember having a sense of some of that during COVID where we were disconnected from being in person and that distance was there. And I felt like, wow, it's kind of hard to press into the presence of his power. And, and I remember some years ago when I started to make a change in my life. I was in a service one day. I was coming to church Sunday after Sunday, and it felt like Groundhog Day. It was just repeating the same old thing after the same old thing. And we were singing about standing on the promises of God. And the Lord challenged me. He said, you come week after week, and you sing about standing on my promises, but you don't live a life that's full of my promises Really, your faith is about sitting on the premises and not standing on my promises. Oh, it hurts so bad. But the same question that the Lord asked me, I need to ask you. Are you sitting on the premises or are you walking in his promises? Do you have the power of God in you, alive and active? Do you see the manifestation of his power in your life on a daily basis? Are you looking for it? Well, let me say this. If you're honest with yourself and you would say to me, Pastor Jim, you know what the reality is? I might just be sitting on the premises. I might be borrowing the presence of God from everybody else because I'm not really plugged into the power of God. And it's time for me to come alive and get activated again in the body of Christ. Well, here's what I have to say to you. Even though the power of God might feel like it's dead, it's not The power of God never dies. It's only dormant. Listen, when you got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation, the power of God came into you and it will never go away. It's alive and active in you. It just might be dormant. So it's time to wake up. It's time to lift up your heads. It's time to get engaged. It's time to take your faith, plug it into your belief, into the things that you value the most, and step into your God-given destiny. Listen, the power of God is not waiting for you in your tomorrow. The power of God dwells inside of you today. So get ready to receive today. Increase your expectations, your anticipation, because God wants to move in your life today. Come on, somebody say amen. Do you want some more of the power of God? Come on, type it in the chat. Power of God. I want some more of the power of God. Now listen, I want to tell you a little simple silly story that'll help us with understanding the power of God. When I was in Bible college, we used to have days of prayer and fasting. And we'd start early in the morning and we would pray and fast all day right up until about five o'clock. And at five o'clock, they would release us. And, you know, us super spiritual ones, uh, I say that sarcastically, would get into our cars and we'd race down to the all-you-could-eat Chinese buffet down the street. And uh, we went from being godly to being glutton. So do as I say, not as I do. Uh, uh, Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. We were missing the point. But even in going to the buffet, God was able to speak to me and teach me three valuable lessons about an all-you-can-eat buffet. See, when you show up at an all-you-can-eat buffet, it's unlike any other restaurant. You can have as much food as you want. And as your resident fat kid... Wow, I love an all-you-can-eat buffet. I just keep going up for more and more and more. Keep bringing it on. I want some more. I want some more. Go ahead, type that in the chat. I want some more. I want some more. Listen, here's what we got. 
Here's what we got. When you go and you get a meal, right? Say you're at home and it's dinner time. Someone prepares dinner or maybe you prepare dinner and you put a plate before you. It's one plate. It's enough food for the day. It's enough food to sustain you and give you nutrients. It's one plate. But at an all-you-can-eat buffet, there's more. See, at home, sometimes you might get seconds, but really you get a plate of food. Even if you go out to a restaurant, a traditional restaurant, you might go a little lavish and you might get an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert. Even at that, in that case, you get three course meal. You don't get endless supplies of food. You get a three course meal. But when you go to an all you can eat buffet, it is literally all you can eat. See, what happens at an all you can eat buffet is that you have to realize that there's as much food as you want there to be. So here's my point when it comes to the power of God. There's as much of the power of God as you want. You just need to get up and go get some more. There is as much power. You have access to as much power as you want when it comes to the power of God. It is accessible to you. You need to believe that you have access to the power, point one. Point two in the, rest, uh, in the all-you-can-eat buffet is that you have to put your faith into action and release yourself, yes, that's right, release yourself to go get some more. So you have to leave behind the plate in your chair, the food that you already consumed. It was good, but it's gone. Your seat was comfortable and you liked it and you liked the company at the table, but you need to get up and go get some more. You need to get up. You need to put your faith into practice and release yourself from what you know and what you're familiar with to go get some more. Step two is faith. Go get some more. Then finally, step three is this, is that we need to accept the process of getting more food. See, I remember the first time I was at an all-you-could-eat buffet and I tried to bring my plate up and get some more. Well, that doesn't work because then there's that cross-contamination of food. Something might fall off your plate into the buffet line, and we don't want that. That's gross. We don't want to do that. So you leave your old plate behind, and you get a new plate, and you get in line. So just like at the all-you-can-eat buffet, there's a process, and you have to be obedient to the process to access the power that your faith has unlocked you to go get. So here's what I have to say to you is simply this. I do not want to live... I don't want to live with a dormant power inside of me. I have to believe that I have access. I have to release myself through faith to go get more. And I have to be obedient to the process to receive more of the power. Come on, somebody say amen. It's about to get good. It's time to get off the premises and get into the power of God. We need to start walking in his promises. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14 in the scriptures. Again, that's Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 and following. I would love to share with you this passage because I believe it talks a lot about what we have to believe in, a lot about the power we need to receive and operate in, and a lot about how we can do supernatural, supernaturally, exceedingly abundantly, more than we can ever think, imagine, or even ask. I love this passage. It's a prayer from Paul to the church at Ephesus. So let's start off. We'll start off in verse 14 and we'll go together through the passage, okay? For this reason, I'm reading from the NIV. It says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Let's pause there. 
Paul starts off with a description of God. He describes him as father, as a name giver. We actually see him describe God as a creator of things in heaven and on earth. Let's unpack this for a second. We, my first point is this. We need to, our, sorry, our belief precedes the miraculous. We need to believe in God. We need to believe that he is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. Okay? So first he says, Father. Father. So we have a, the Bible calls God Abba. Father, which means daddy in the original language. And we hear this in Romans chapter 8. It says this, For you did not receive a spirit of bondage to fear again, but you received a spirit of sonship by which you are adopted and can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. He is your Father. He is close to you. He wants to know you. We also see him described as the creator of the heaven and the earth in this prayer. God is also known as the creator God or Elohim. We see this in Genesis, that before the world was, he created all things. He spoke it into existence. He is the creator. He has the power to create all things. Not only that, but he is our provider, Jehovah Jireh. Listen, it says here in the passage that all things in heaven and earth derive their name from him. He gives us a name. He gives us provision in our identity. Listen, you have to understand that God is a giver of identity. He's a God that gives you a purpose. He's a God that has a plan for you to bless you and prosper you. He's a God that will sustain you through it all. It's in our identity. We are called Christians. It means Christ in us. Christ in Christian. We have, we have taken on that name and now we need to live in the authority and the identity of the name of having Christ in us. God is also the God of power. He's uh, Jehovah Shabbath, which means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angel armies, the God of war, dressed for battle, ready to fight for you. He's not just a creator. He's not just a provider. He's a protector and he wants to protect you. He is a refuge and a strong tower. You can run into him and find comfort and rest and peace in times of need. He's not only that, but he is also Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. He, listen, it says in Matthew chapter 8, he took on all of our infirmities and he bore all of our diseases. His power is there for us for healing and deliverance and freedom. He is the God that heals. And finally, I feel like this is special for someone out there. Hagar, in Genesis chapter 16, she's the only woman in all of Scripture to name God. She calls him Jehovah Roy, which means he is the God who sees me. There's someone out there right now, and I know it to be true. I can sense it in my spirit. I don't know who you are, but I need you to hear this. God sees you. He sees you today right where you are. He saw you last night as you wept in your bed, as the stress of the day was overwhelming you, as fear crept in. He says, I see you. I am with you. I'm here to protect you and sustain you. You are not doing this on your own. I am proud of you. I love you. You can do this. I see you. He's a God that sees and it's great that we can know God through the scriptures and we got to study the word to know who he is and knowing 
God is so important. Having a knowledge of the holy is so critical. But knowledge is something that can puff us up. There was a season in my life when I was in Bible college where I got caught up in the academia, in the knowledge, in the understanding. I could read it in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew and I could parse the verbs and I got stuck in that and it dries you up. You can get dried up when all you know is the knowledge, but when you start to operate in the power, you begin to grow. You go from knowing and being dried up to being filled with knowledge and power, and that's when you grow up. See, if you live in just power, you're going to blow up because you don't have anything to ground you. But when you have knowledge and power, you grow up. And see, that's where it starts to happen. We need to know the word, but then we need to start reaching for the power. We need to leave the plate of knowledge and go up to the buffet and get some more so that we can operate in the power of God. Amen. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? Listen, it's not enough just to know the scriptures about who God is, but you need to also know who he says you are and what he says that you can do. See, I need to believe that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he does. But I also need to know who I am and who God says I am and who God, uh, and what God says I can do. See, I know this, that I am loved by him. I am seen by him. I am blessed and highly favored, deeply loved, called of God and never turning back. I am a mighty warrior. I am more than a conqueror. The weapons of sin and death no longer have hold of me because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I am empowered to cast out demons, to bind and loose, to build up, to strengthen, to heal, to forgive, to bless. I am a child of God and so are you. Do you know who you are? Or do you know who your God is? It begins with believing that you are who he says you are. My next point is this, that faith and community precede the miraculous. The first point was to believe precedes the miraculous. Now, faith and community precede the miraculous. Listen, I'm going to tell you some stories in the next couple minutes about things that have happened in my life. They're true stories, and to the best of my knowledge, they are as factual as possible. And I pray that as I tell you these stories of what God's done through power in my life, that your faith would begin to rise up because I believe at the end of this message, God wants to demonstrate his power to you wherever you are because my God is a God that transcends both time and space. So no matter when you're watching this, no matter where you're watching this, the power of God is for you and it is live and active for you right now. It's relevant to your today. So get ready to receive and may your faith rise up. Come on, faith, rise up right now in Jesus' name. Faith and community precede the miraculous. This is what it says, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that, you may, that he may strengthen you with power. Go ahead and underline power in your Bible. Power. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Can you just picture that for a second? That his Holy Spirit is coming upon you and it is strengthening you in your inner person. That the power of God is in you. See, it's the Spirit of God that draws all men unto God himself. See, the only way that we have access to God is through Jesus, but it's the power of the Spirit that draws us to Jesus who gives us access to the Father. This is why we need the power of the Spirit in our inner man so that we can come to Jesus and find the Father. 
So this is what it actually says. Let's continue on reading. It says that you would receive power from his spirit in your inner being so that, see, here's the purpose. Here's, here's the clause that's attached to the power. So that, in order that, that you may have Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. See, it's not just enough to know that he's real but you have to now act on it in faith. See, what's the difference between belief and faith? Belief is believing that something exists. I believe that this table is here. But I didn't put my faith in this table until I put my Bible on it. See, I can believe that it's there, but until I insert my faith into what I believe is true, no action takes place. It's just simply a fact that exists. I believe that Canada exists. But until I believe in Canada and pledge allegiance to the Canadian flag or whatever the case may be, until I start to interact with my belief, nothing's going to happen. See, faith is not a noun. It's a verb in this case. It requires action that produces transformation in our lives. See, I can believe that God is who he says he is. I can believe I am who God says I am. But until I put my faith into action and start living out who he calls me to be and I start trusting that he has unlimited resource of power for me to walk in and operate in, then I have nothing. It's dormant. It's dead. Without faith, it doesn't come alive. And that's what he's saying here. He's describing the greatest miracle of all time, salvation. It's when the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you allow Jesus to come into your heart through faith. That's what it says in Romans, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we'll be saved. So we need belief and faith to see that come to pass. I need to tell you a story. Come on, just type this in the chat. In anticipation, I want you to begin to encourage your soul. Would you just say this? Come on, faith. Come on, faith. Come on, faith. You want to start encouraging your soul. I know you're typing it in the chat, but I need you to say it out loud. I want your ears to hear it. I want your heart to receive it. Come on, faith. Let faith rise up and in everybody that's hearing this message today. I want to tell you a story. Back in the early 2000s, I was pastoring a church. It was a cold winter day. And we came into the church and, and everybody had a little bit of the sniffly noses. You know how that is when you're coming from the cold into the warm and your nose starts to run and everybody's bundled up and there was plenty of tissues, not because there was weeping over the beautiful message that I was preaching, but because their noses were all running. And, and I came to the end of my sermon at the end of the, uh, of the service and, and it just kind of came out of my mouth. I wasn't really thinking about it, wasn't really planning on it. I simply quoted this scripture. It says that, if there are any sick among you, have them come to the elders and let the elders pray for them and they will be healed. And I thought to myself as I said it, well, I got a bunch of sniffly noses. There might be some bumps and bruises, some owies and some boo-boos, and I've got enough faith to pray for that, so I'm not too worried about it. Let's, let's move forward. All right, I said it, let them come. And so we had an altar call and they came up front. This was the beginning of me starting to believe. no. This was the beginning of me starting to have faith in what I believed. Let me say it again. This was the beginning of me starting to have faith in what I believed to be true. So everybody started coming up to the front. And in the back of the room, there was a lady in a wheelchair. Her name's Myrna. 
And she got in her wheelchair and she was sitting there and, 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 and Myrna was a wonderful lady. I think she was in her late 60s. I never asked her to be honest because I thought it might be rude. <laughs> but what I did know about Myrna that was when she was about 20, in her mid-20s, she had contracted cerebral palsy and she had been con- confined to a wheelchair all the days of her life since then. And when I met Myrna, the first part of her story that she told me, she said, I had cerebral palsy, and ever since then I've been in this chair. But you know what my favorite part, I loved her, her positivity. My favorite part about being in a wheelchair is that no matter where I go, I have a state-appointed nurse's aide. And so every Wednesday night and every Sunday morning, I get to take my state-appointed nurse's aide to church with me, and they get to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as everybody's coming up with their sniffly noses, here comes Myrna. She's in her chair. And she simply reaches down and pushes the lever. She had very limited mobility and she comes up to the front. And I remember looking at her sitting there and thinking to myself, oh no, do I have enough faith for this? Can God really get Myrna out of that chair? So I began to, I began to pace back and forth in the front. I actually looked at my friend Jeff. I said, Jeff, you start praying for Myrna. And I went over to everybody else with a sniffly nose and the ouches and the boo-boos. And I prayed for all of them and they were all good. And finally I walked across the front and there's Jeff and Myrna. And Jeff says to me, Jim, come here. You need to pray for Myrna. You got to pray for Myrna, Jim. And so Jeff and I knelt down at Myrna's feet and we began to pray for her. And we grabbed a hold of her legs and started praying and interceding. And all of a sudden her legs started to get really warm and they started to shake and I've never seen Myrna's legs move before and they began to shake. And so I looked up at Myrna and I said, Myrna, can you feel that? And she says, yes. I said, well, what do you want to do? And Myrna says, oh, I think I should stand up now. And so Myrna begins to get up out of her chair and so Jeff and I, we're in catcher position. You know how it is. We're like, is this really happening? Like, what's gonna happen if this 60-year-old takes a tumble in our, in our church and oh my goodness, what's gonna happen? And all of a sudden she stands up and as Myrna stands up and her legs stop shaking, her, her shoulders come up and they move back and she stands straight up and we look at Myrna and we're like, Myrna, what do you wanna do? She goes, I think it's time to walk. And so we began to walk across the stage and we walked, oh, it was probably 25 feet across the front of the stage. It was a big stage. We got to the end of the stage. I said, Myrna, what do you want to do? And her sweet little voice, she says, well, I'm quite tired now. I think we should walk back. And so we get ready and we walk and back and everybody's going nuts because here's Myrna, the woman that we knew She's out of her wheelchair. She's walking around the front of the altar because God's doing something supernatural. And so we walk her back to her chair. And I said, what do you want to do now? She goes, I think I'm ready to sit down. Well, so we helped her back into her seat and she sat down. And as soon as I I saw her seated, I looked up and I I looked out in the audience and I saw her state-appointed nurse's aide sitting there. And I grabbed the microphone and I said, can she do this? Is there anything in all of her medical history that said that Myrna would ever be able to walk again? And with tears rolling down her face, she said, no, there's no way. Either that or she's been fooling me for the last five years. Every time I lifted her into the car, lifted her into the bed, helped her out with her hygiene, I can't believe that Myrna just walked across that stage. And without any prompting from me, the state-appointed nurse's aide says this. She said, Myrna tells me about Jesus and her God all the time. And I hear her, but I don't really listen. I just try and be polite. 
But if the God she's telling me about, if the God that she serves just got her out of that wheelchair and she walked across that stage, even if it was for but a moment, he must be real. And she walked down to the front of that church that Sunday morning and gave her heart to Jesus. She said, he's got to be real. I've heard about him. I know about him. But I'm going to take a step of faith and begin to believe that it is true what I've heard about this Jesus. Now my heart was heavy a little bit because Myrna got back in her chair and she left that day. And next week she came back, but she did not come back alone. I want you to understand something. Myrna went out in her chair and came back and the state-appointed nurse's aide came with her. She brought with her boyfriend and her three kids and all of them gave their hearts to the Lord that Sunday. So I ask you this, what was a greater miracle Myrna getting out of a chair or hearts being transformed for all eternity. What I'm here to tell you is that the greatest miracle isn't necessarily a physical healing, but it's the choice, it's the belief, it's the faith in Jesus Christ that would transform a heart for the miracle was that the the decision that was made in the back of that little church will echo in the halls of eternity for all time because someone said yes to Jesus. I want to tell you this, that miracles point to the eternal, not just to the temporal. Come on, faith. Come on, faith, to all those in the sound of my voice. I pray that they would begin to hear, they would begin to hear faith start to shake in their souls, God that faith would begin to rise up, that they would begin to declare, not just out of some felt need to respond to the pastor, but that their hearts would start to say, come on, I want some more. I want some more. Come on, faith, rise up in them. The passage goes on as we continue to read in verse 17. It says this, Paul says, and then I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power, go ahead, underline power, may have the power together with all the Lord's saints or holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of God. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There's a lot in there and I don't have time to unpack it, but I do want to encourage your faith today. I do want you to begin to have faith, to believe in what you know about God. Listen to what it says. I pray that you being rooted and grounded. I just want to pause there for a second. That's a powerful thing. Rooted and established. Rooted and grounded. The words in different translations. In the NIV, it says established. The word is actually translated a foundation. See, we know that, that in Ephesians, Paul talks about Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And on top of that cornerstone is placed the apostles and the prophets. It's the building of a foundation upon which we are put as living stones. And we are being built into a house where the power of God dwells and the power of his spirit resides. See, there's a foundation that's been laid. You know, we don't build our house on shifting sand, but we build our house upon a foundation of love that is firmly planted and will never move and will sustain us through whatever storms may come. It's on a foundation that we stand. The other word is rooted. 
I love what it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 18. It says this, it describes the body of Christ as a tree with many branches and with fruit. And it says, he says to the the branches, don't brag or boast to the other branches that you have fruit hanging off of you. Because the reality is that, (laughs) the reality is that what sustains you and supplies your needs isn't you as a branch. It comes from the, the nutrients of the roots. It's the roots that support you. It's the roots that strengthen you. It's the foundation of love, the roots of love that will strengthen you to move and operate in the power of God with everything that you do. These two verbs are written in the perfect tense in the Greek. This is something special. See, they're translated in English with a simple ed, past tense ending. Rooted, ed, past tense, established ends with an ed, it's past tense, but that's not what it is. Look, look, look. In the perfect tense in the Greek, it means something was started in the past. It was brought to a point of completion and the results of that being completed will echo on into eternity forever. See, it's like Jesus. He came from the Father on a mission of love. It started as a mission of love. And in obedience, he went to the cross and he died for you and me so that we might have life and life eternal. And it was brought to completion at that cross where he had victory over death, hell, and the grave. And the implications of what happened on that cross will last for all eternity. And this is what he's saying. I've established you. I've rooted you. Because of my power, you cannot be shaken. You are firmly planted and you have everything you need inside of you through the power of my Holy Spirit. Come on, faith. Come on. Who wants some more? You've been rooted and established. You can't miss this. You can't miss this. It's so important. It's so important. The power of community. He says things in here like to know the love that surpasses knowledge. What does that even mean? How can you know something that surpasses the ability to be known? Well, you see it in community. See, if I know the love that he has for me, but I can see the love that he has for you and you and you and everybody else out there, I start to get a glimpse and understanding of how much bigger his love is, not only for me, but for everyone around me. And I begin to comprehend the endless supply of his love, the equally endless supply of his power. It's faith in community that precedes the miraculous. I got a story for you. Come on, Faith. I got a story. Time would fail me. I don't have time to tell you the details of this one. But let me tell you a story about a a young man named Joel Dolstrom. He was a junior in high school, a very popular kid, star football player. He had a C on his chest. He was the captain. He knew everybody. He was living the dream. He was that guy. I'll tell you another story at the same time, a story of Jen Browning. She, she, just like Joel, was very popular in her junior year of high school. She was the star of the play. She could sing like an angel. She was popular. They were in a school of 2,500 kids. It was like high school musical before the movie was ever written. They were the cool kids. They had it going on. But one day, Joel woke up, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. He was overcome with spinal meningitis. And he went into Hasbro Children's Hospital down in Providence, Rhode Island, and he was laid up in a bed there for weeks. Jen Browning would start to walk through the 
halls of her school in her junior year and all of a sudden she would collapse and fall to the ground with migraine headaches pounding and she would convulse and come, go into a seizure. Now they were still both very popular, but there was very, uh, very big things wrong with them. They were sick. And we got to go in and pray with Joel and lay hands on him. Just to explain the magnitude of it, there was a kid sharing his room and had the same sickness. And the sad story is he never made it out of the hospital. But as we laid hands on Joel and prayed for him, God chose to heal him that day. And he went back to school. And Jen Browning came one day, she came one day to youth group and she wasn't having a seizure that day and we laid hands on her and prayed for her. And to the best of my knowledge, to this very day, Jen Browning has not had another seizure. And these two miracles happened back to back and these two kids, they walked into that school of East Providence High School, a school of 2,500 kids and they began to preach. They began to preach that, that you knew me. You knew me. I was the cool kid on the football field. I was the girl who was the head of the play. You saw the sickness that I had. It wasn't me who did it. It was Jesus who healed my body. It was Jesus who changed my life. So from the bleachers to the Bunsen burners, from the stage to the stadium, they declared the love of Jesus to everybody that would listen. And in a matter of a year, there was no less than 100 students that gave their hearts to Jesus because of the miracles of these two. Because of the miracle that God did in their lives, I tell you, it was a great season to be their youth pastor. It was a great season to see revival happen in that little town because God was on the move. Come on, faith. Come on, faith. Listen, miracles are not just for the individual but they are a springboard for the kingdom community. They are a springboard to the revival that God wants to see happen in the world around you. Let me say it again. Miracles are not just for individuals. They're a springboard for kingdom community. They are a springboard for revival. Come on, faith. Come on, faith. Begin to rise up in those that are hearing my voice today. This is my last point that I have for you. Obedience precedes the miraculous. Obedience precedes the miraculous. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Go ahead and underline power. That's what it says in verse 20. Now to him who is able, I'll tell you it's translated able, but it's the same word in the Greek. It's the word power. It says to him who is power. Not just ability, but to him who is power. He can do immeasurably more than I can think or imagine. More than I can ask. Listen, I don't even know what to ask. I don't even know what to dream to comprehend the fullness of the power of God. But what I see here is that my God is powerful. So much more than I could ever dream or imagine or ask. My God is powerful. And he moves in our lives. Let me tell you one last story. I want to tell you a story of a young girl named Amanda Pitts. You probably could Google her right now. She's an anchor, news anchor for Channel 12 News. When she was 17 years old, and because of what Joel and Jen had done in preaching the gospel at their high school, this young girl, Amanda Pitts, had come to, to our church, and she turned 17 and gotten her license, and she was driving down I-95. She was going a little fast in an, in, a, in, a, in an attempt to 
not get in an accident, swerved out of the middle lane to not hit a car. She rolled her mom's Jeep Grand Cherokee onto the center median. The car was crushed and devastated and totally ruined. She was trapped inside the car. They had to get the jaws of life and come and cut her out. They slowly pulled her out of the car. Her knee had been crushed between the steering wheel and the seat, and she had been pinned in there for hours. The doctor said it was just a miracle that she was alive. And she was in the hospital for a few days, and they checked her out, and she was good, except for her knee was swollen. It was the size of a watermelon when I saw it. And there was cuts and bruises and scrapes all over her body. But the doctor said, I believe we're going to have to reconstruct your knee. I, I can't see the extent of the damage because of all the swelling. And we're going to have to, we're going to send you home. You're going to be okay. Let the swelling go down. And then we'll figure out what we have to do with your knee. You probably won't be able to move it. Don't put any weight or pressure on it. So Amanda comes home. And we were excited that she came home and we were thanking God that she was alive. But somehow Amanda convinced her parents to let her get in another car with her girlfriends and get driven to church that Wednesday night. And Amanda shows up to church and she's getting carried in and she's got her crutches. These very crutches, she's got her crutches and her girlfriends are walking alongside of her making sure she doesn't put any weight on her leg. And she comes into church and she sits right there in the third row. I remember it as clear as day. I was standing up on the left-hand side and I was worshiping. And as soon as I saw Amanda come through the door, we were singing a song and I heard the Lord say to me, you need to pray for Amanda tonight. I said, come on, faith. I need more faith than that. God, what happens? What happens if I call her up front and I pray for her and she isn't healed? What will you look like? What if I fail you? What if I let you down? And God said, I didn't ask you about that. I simply told you to pray for her. And I started arguing with the Lord and I'm, I'm up in the front. It might've looked like I was worshiping, but I was pacing back and forth, arguing with God. Do I have the faith to pray for her? What's gonna happen if it doesn't happen? And boy, was I glad to be in a community of believing Christians that day. Because my friend Jason, at the time, he was there with us. He's now a missionary to Indonesia. He walked up from the back of the church and he looked me square in the eye and he put his finger in my face. And he said, Jim, whatever God just told you to do, you better do it. And I knew at that moment that it had to be true. And so I took that confirmation. I walked over to Amanda and I said, Amanda, I'd love it if you could get out of your seat after worship and we could go up front and lay hands on you and pray for you. And she came to the front and she found herself in the chair and we took her crutches and we began to pray for her. And we all came around, all, all the different students that were there and all the adults and we were praying and interceding. And finally at the end of the prayer we said, all right, does it feel better? Can you move it? Can you put any weight on it? And she stood up and she started to put pressure on it. Ah, she wasn't healed. She wasn't healed. And my heart began to sink. And we prayed again and we interceded and we're like, God, I know sometimes it's a progressive miracle. <laughs> we were trying to encourage our own faith. And we prayed and we prayed and she went back to her seat and she was still unable to move it or put any weight on it. You know what happens after worship? Normally someone does this thing called preaching and that duty fell on me and I had to preach, but my heart was so heavy that she hadn't been healed because I knew I had heard the Lord say, pray for her. And she would have gone back to her seat. So I started preaching. And as I was preaching, her girlfriends kept getting up and they would come up and get tissues from the altar. 
And it was a little distracting, but I assumed that maybe I was preaching okay. I was a little encouraged. Maybe my words are moving their hearts. And, and well, that, that works for me. So I kept on preaching. And then they came back up for more tissues and back up for, and back, and back up for more tissues. And around the fourth or fifth time, I started to get annoyed. I was like, what are you doing? Take the box. Like, why do you keep needing all these tissues? So I asked them straight up, why do you need the tissues? And the girls started to look back at me and with a slight smile on their face, and they said, you know, I know it's a little gross, but ever since you started preaching, you know, Amanda's knee, how, how it was swollen and how she had those cuts on her leg. As soon as you started preaching, all the fluid began to drain out of her knee and it came out of the cut on the top of her foot and it's all over the floor here. We're trying to mop it up. And as soon as she finished speaking, Amanda stood up with her crutches over her head and said, look, it's better. I can jump. I can dance. I can walk. I'm totally healed. She started moving her knee and the place erupted because God had healed her leg. And to this day, I have her crutches. That Sunday, I nailed her them to the wall and they were a stone of remembrance for us something that we could look at and even this last couple weeks when we moved up here to Bellingham my kids saw those crutches and said dad why do we have crutches and I said those are to remind us of the power of God the power of God to heal Amanda God still moves come on faith come on faith let it rise up inside of you It's time for you to understand that God is on the move and there's power that dwells inside of you that is an untapped resource. God's power is not dead. It might be dormant, but it's time to get up off the table and go get some more. Listen, miracles don't point to the message or the messenger. They only point to the message. See, I have to be obedient to do what he says to do, but it wasn't about me. God was gonna heal her in his own timing. The miracle never points to the messenger. The miracle always points to the message that Jesus still heals. He is able. We have to be obedient. Listen, you have to be obedient to the things of God. This is how we get more. Listen, it's all over scripture. Let me hit, it, hit you with it real quick. Was it not Moses who had to take off his sandals and be humbled at the burning bush before he could release the the nation of Israel from Egypt? Was it not Noah who had to, in the face of criticism and critique, build an ark before the flood came? Was it not the blind man who had mud on his eyes had to go and wash before he could see clearly? There's a step of obedience that has to happen before the miraculous can take place. Listen, was it not Peter who had to hear the Lord say, come out of the boat before he stepped out on the water and saw that it could hold him up? Listen, the miraculous is always preceded by obedience. It's been said that this, that a man can never explore the expanse of the sea unless he has the courage to lose sight of the shore. But let me rephrase it to you today, just like Peter No one can comprehend the power of God's kingdom unless they have the courage to lose sight of what is familiar and comfortable and step out into the unimaginable and believe the unexpected. In God's power, he will provide for you to do whatever he said that you can do. You gotta trust him and walk by faith because it's time for more. Come on, somebody who wants some more. I want some more of the power of God. Amen. 
The power of God is not waiting for you tomorrow. I'll say it again. It's waiting within you today. Come on, let's wake it up. He has prepared a table before you and it is not a one course meal. It is an all you can eat buffet. Do you want some more? Are you willing to leave the plate of familiarity? Are you willing to leave your experiences that you have had with God thus far and step out and go to the buffet and get more of what God has for you? Come on, let faith rise up in you. Are you ready to follow the process of obedience and walk through faith to receive more? Today is your day to receive the power of God. We gotta know him. We got to believe in him. We have to have faith in him and we have to be obedient to him. Listen, I want to start with this. It's a great place to start where faith begins to build. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never had that encounter where the power of the Holy Spirit has come in you and you are moved by faith to declare that he is Lord of your life, to confess that you've sinned, to believe that he's Lord, and to accept that he has forgiven you. If you've never done that before, then today is your day. And I believe that that is the greatest miracle of all time. So if that's you at the sound of my voice, will you click? Will you go ahead and click on the raise your hand button? I want to get saved. I want to pray this sinner's prayer. If you want to text CC saved to 97,000, I want to know that you raised your hand today. I want to know that you're saying yes to Jesus today. We want to send you some material and encourage you in your faith because it's so important to us to understand and see the miraculous of God. So if that's you, let's pray a prayer right now. There's people that are willing to pray with you online, but I just would ask you to pray this prayer right now out loud with me over this screen. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. And I confess that I have fallen short. But I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. I accept him now as Lord and Savior of my life. And I declare that you are my God and you are my King. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. So good. So good. Come on, now let faith rise up. Listen, there's people in the chat. There's people on our prayer team that are ready to talk with you. So I'm going to ask you whatever you need. You need miracles. You need healing. You need encouragement. You need love. You need power. Go ahead and ask. Start to talk. Start to talk and communicate with the people on our prayer team. They want to pray with you so that you can receive power from on high, so that you can be a witness to God. Listen, miracles don't point to to the, the messenger. They always point to the message. Miracles always are a springboard for the kingdom community and for revival. Miracles are not just about an individual. They're about a heart change and transformation, and it is in you. The power of God is in you. So go forth and live a life that's full of power. No more mediocrity. No more just singing about standing on his promises. No more just sitting on the premises. It's time to go live and walk out your faith through the power of God. God bless you and have a wonderful day.